Andy said that it was if Tommy had produced a key which fit a cage in the back of his mind, a cage like his own cell. Instead of holding a man, that cage held a tiger, and that tiger's name was Hope. Williams had produced a key that unlocked the cage, and the tiger was out willy-nilly to roam his brain. This is what the gospel offers to you. Hey, Crush United, I'm so glad you joined us for this online Advent message. I want to encourage you to turn or tap in your Bible or your app to Romans chapter 8. We're going to get there in just a minute. While you're turning or tapping over there, you can also go to crossunited.org and click online check-in. That will take you to our online digital connection card where you can let us know how we can be praying for you, ways that you can connect with our church. Also there at crossunited.org, you can click give on the top right-hand side of the menu bar, and that will take you to our secure online giving platform where you can give um, to the church and support the ministry as many are doing both inside of our church and outside as a new church plant. We have uh, partners from all over the nation and partners within our congregation. Um, and so I encourage you to give and give generously to our church and through our church. So if you consider our church, uh, your church home, or you just consider yourself a generous person, you can go there. All right. We're going to be this morning talking about invisible hope in a visual world. Now, this shutdown season has been a bitter one in many ways, um, but it's also shared its uh, sweetnesses with us in some ways. One of the one of the things it's done in, in, in many cases is pushed families together um, and it's it's given us time together in many cases. Another thing it's done is it's made us sick of screens, you know, before the shutdown. Uh, happened, th there were studies that showed that many people were using screens for six, eight, even 12 hours a day between work and home. And now we're using them even more as so much of our work and so many of our meetings have moved onto Zoom and online. We watch church online. If you're watching this, you're watching a sermon online. We are inundated with images from our screens. You know, the, the cathode, cathode ray tube was, wasn't invented until the end of the 1800s, and LED and touchscreen technology were, were first pioneered in the 1960s, and in that short amount of time since, these technologies have revolutionized our lives to the point where screens now mediate many of our relationships, mo most of our work, most of our entertainment. Human nature tends to prioritize sight over the other senses. We, we, as humans, have always wanted to see more than we've wanted to taste, touch, smell, or hear. We, we, we've been visual creatures from the very beginning. And, and our earliest ancestors, the story in the garden where they saw that forbidden fruit and they saw that it was a delight to the eyes rather than listening to the word of the Lord, and they took the fruit and they ate it and spiraled the world into sin and brokenness. Israel, when Moses was up on the mountain hearing the word of the Lord, wanted to see their God. They wanted, to, they wanted a God they could see, and so they, 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 they got Aaron to cast a calf made out of gold 
for them to see and to worship. Um, we, more than ever now, have centralized our lives around visual media, screens in particular. More than any other moment in history, we are in a visual moment, and we live in a visual world. We, we, we want to photograph and, and, and video every moment of our lives and document it and put it on Instagram stories, and we, we want to be able to see our lives through our screens. And when we miss it, we think, man, I wish I'd been able to capture that one. I, am, I wish we'd had our phone or our camera ready. We document and we display our lives through the sharpness of hundreds and hundreds of pixels per square inch. We can FaceTime cross-continental family video chats on Thanksgiving and Christmas. We can see every square inch of the planet from satellite views and every corner of every country with Google Street View. We now more than ever can see, and yet in many ways, we are incredibly anxious. We are incredibly angry and we're tired as we talked about last week, we can see just about anything we want in the world except for what we need. Because what we need, we can't see. In a visual world, we are plagued by invisible reality. We've seen that in this in this global pandemic and a virus that we can't see because how tiny it is. And we learn yet again that invisible things are significant things. We've learned that we can't always get what we need by our sight. The virus that's plagued the world is invisible to our eyes, but it is real. And the hope that our world needs is invisible as well. Look at what the Bible says in Romans 8, 24 and 25. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Here we see two things about invisible hope in a visual world. We see that hope is an invisible thing and that hope is an invisible action. First, we see hope is invisible is an invisible thing. In, in Romans 8, we see that the Holy Spirit is, is a star in Romans 8. Often the Holy Spirit is, is um, doing his work of magnifying Christ, but here we see a, a, a sort of zoom in of the Spirit and what the Spirit does. We see in verses 1 through 11 that He is the Spirit of life. In verses 12 through 17 that He's the Spirit of adoption. In verses 18 through 30 that He is the Spirit of intercession. And in this context, we find our verses for our topic today about invisible hope in a visual world and within the flow of this chapter the, the the chapter flows and pools into this this reservoir of hope and we learn in the verses just before verse 24 which is is one of our two main verses that we 
um, are, are, are talking here in the context of the hope of creation and the hope of the Christian. The hope of creation in verses 20 and 21, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay in the glorious freedom of God's children. The hope of creation is that one day God will unravel the second law of thermodynamics that says that things go from order to disorder, from integration to disintegration, that that one day God will reconstitute the world with the life that he designed for it, that one day God will make the cosmos, the universe, new again. The hope of creation is rooted in the hope of the Christian. Look there at verses 21, which we already read, but then into verse 23, that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Spiritual regeneration, the, the new birth that God gives us through the gospel where we are, are turned from death to life as, as the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts as we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spiritual regeneration foretells and promises a physical regeneration. That just as God has raised our spirits and our hearts from spiritual death, he will raise the world from physical death and decay. One day he will raise our bodies and raise our spirits together and we will meet Christ who was raised in his body and is alive. And that when God does that, he will be restoring the physical created order. The hope of the creation and the hope of the Christian are the future reality that God will fix this broken down old world and will fix these broken down old bodies. Thus, we come to the reminder in verse 24, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Now, in this first part of verse 24, the apostle Paul uses the word hope three times in the noun form. It, the, 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 my, our kids, and uh, we sometimes after dinner, we'll do a Mad Lib where we have a story and it's got blanks and you have to fill in different words and it turns into something funny. And, and they've learned, both from school and from doing Mad Libs, that a noun, and you know, is a person, place, or thing. Well, here we see that hope is a noun. Hope is a thing. Hope is a reality. Now, hope is also a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hope is also a place, the, the, the future reality of, of the heavenly kingdom. But hope is a thing. It is not a subjective feeling that we feel. It is first a reality that is real. Hope is a thing and we can't see it. It's an invisible thing. Now, some things we can't see because they're not real. 
They're made up things. They're, they're imaginary things. Other things we can't see because they're so small, like the virus or a molecule. Some things we can't see because they're not physical things, like our thoughts. But hope is something we can't see because it is a future thing. We can't see hope because hope isn't here yet. Hope is in the future. Now we can imagine the future, we can dream about the future, we can talk about the future, but we cannot see the future because the future is not yet the present. Hope is an invisible thing because hope is a future thing, but it is no less objectively real. It is objective reality, just not yet present reality. And God's golden guarantee is that one day he will raise our bodies. He will restore the creation. He will make all things new. He will, he will set things that are wrong and make them right. And the platinum promise of the Prince of Peace, that he will return, that his resurrection ensures our resurrection, and that one day Satan will be defeated, sin will be disintegrated, and death itself will die because of Christ's crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and one day he will return, and our hope is sure. When we follow Jesus, God gives us so many good gifts, like a, like a, like a parent putting gifts under the Christmas tree for their kids and wrapping them up. And, and just as we delight to see our kids open their gifts on Christmas, God delights when we receive and unwrap the gifts that he's given us. And one of his greatest gifts is the gift of hope. At several points in the Bible, in Ephesians 2 and 1 Thessalonians 4, the Bible describes those who don't follow Jesus as those who have no hope. Hope is one of the marks of the Christian. Hope is one of the things that, that, that Christians claim as their own. Not the subjective emotion, not the feel, but the thing that is real, the future reality. Something that we know deep in our bones is as real as the chair that we're sitting in. Too often, we, we hear um, of hope as sort of just this, you know, this mushy feeling inside of us. Like, oh, I have, I'm hoping, you know, like, like that, that it's just this mysterious, magical sense that things are going to get better. And sometimes preachers will say things like, the best is yet to come, and and what it seems like sometimes they're saying is that the best is yet to come in this life, that your best life is, is just around that corner and you're going to get the things that you're longing for, the, the, the success and the, 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 the achievement and the family and the, the friends and the, and the finances. And the best is yet to come, but the best is yet to come, not in the sense that one day in, the, in this life, in not too very long, we will live our best life, but the best is yet to come in the sense that Jesus will return and we will live in an eternal kingdom of glory with him. The vision of saying the best is yet to come in this near sense makes hope too earthly, too worldly, too soon. We have a real hope. And we shouldn't trade it for the false hope of the world. We see that hope as a noun, hope as a thing, can be either true or false. 
We, we can either base our, our, our hope and have a sense of this hope that is either based in the objective reality of what God has promised, that is sure as the character of God, that is true and real and eternal, or we can hope in the things of this world that may be real or may be not, but are always temporary. Hope is a, an invisible thing. It's also an invisible action. Look there in verses 24 and 25 again. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. There we see the transition from hope as a noun to hope as a verb, hope as an action. Here we transition from the, the, the hope of Christ, the resurrected King, returning to make all things new to what we should do in light of that. That the promise of eternal life and the regeneration of the, of the cosmos, the, 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 the regenerated hearts of Christians leading to the, the resurrection of, of those who are in Christ and to everlasting life, we have this objective real hope as a thing, and because we have hope, we do hope. The reality of hope as a noun leads to the sense of hope as a verb. We hope as an action in hope as a thing. The thing that God will do in Christ when his time has arrived. When the, when the perfect timing of God is unfolded in this world. Hope is not something we just magically or mystically have or, or don't have. We receive the objective reality of what God has done in our lives and what he promises to do, and then we actively and intentionally hope in that hope. We follow down the footpaths plotted by our father Abraham. In Romans 4.18, says that Abraham believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of of many nations. According to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about a hundred years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able also to do. Hope is the action we take in response to what God has done and what God promises to do. By his grace, God pours into our hearts the Holy Spirit as we have turned from our sin and trusted in Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection so that the Spirit gives us the ability to hope in the objective hope of the gospel. In our sinful hearts, we always choose despair over hope, or we choose false hope and temporary hope over real and eternal hope. But God graciously gives us new hearts, new lives, new birth. He regenerates us so that we can have true hope in hope. Um, the sneaky thing is that people who don't follow Jesus can, can have hope and can sometimes even seem more hopeful than Christians. 
They can choose to believe that things will improve and sing the song from Walt Disney World's Carousel of Progress, that there's a big, bright, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. And here's the thing, in a measure that is true, things can get better. Things do get better. We do make progress. Things are so much better in 2020 than they were in 1920 or 1820 or 1720. The, 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 the technology and the, the, the medical advancements. We praise God for these things and the common grace he's given. And there is a sense in which the, 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 the person who doesn't follow Jesus can have a measure of hope. But that hope will ultimately disappoint because it will only and always be temporary. It can be false or it can be true, but even the true hope of the world is always and only a temporary hope. It will never last forever. It will not sustain a person through eternity. The hope of the gospel of Christ is the objectively and eternally real hope that can inspire in us true feelings of hope. So with that in mind, I think we can all plot ourselves on a two-by-two chart with hope that is either eternal and real or temporary or false on the, the, the vertical axis, and then with a, a sense of, of, of feeling of hopelessness and hopefulness on the horizontal axis. Maybe you're a Christian and you've turned from your sin and you've trusted in Jesus Christ who has forgiven your sin and given you eternal life. If, that is the, if that's the case, you have an eternal and objective real hope as a thing on the upper part of the vertical axis. You have ob objectively a hope, a noun hope. That is Christ's return, Christ's resurrection, your future glory promised to you by the down payment of the Holy Spirit. But yet, Christians who have this real objective hope can still feel a sense of hopelessness. We can get discouraged by the constant swelling currents of the, the seas we sail in the, the, the times of our sojourn. We, we can lose sight of the truth. We can hurt so deeply that, that the sense of hope as an active choice seems so very far away. The noise of the world and the, 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 the ways of the, the world and the noise of the news in our world can turn us inward so we don't feel hope. And if that's the case, we end up becoming discouraged. A discouraged Christian is a Christian who has true hope but does not choose or feel hope. Now, on the other hand, maybe you're not a Christian and you might feel hope or you might not feel hope. Maybe, maybe you're in a dark season and things seem so bad. You can't see any light. You can't see any way out and you don't think you're going to make it. When you don't have real hope and you don't feel hope, you end up despairing. This is a non-Christian who has a false or temporary hope and chooses not to hope and doesn't feel hope. And it leads to a sense of total catastrophic despair. On the other hand, you can be a, a person who's not a Christian who is full of hope, who has this sense that things will get better and, and that, that things will improve. And they may, in a sense, in a measure for a time, but 
any hope other than the eternal hope of Christ will ultimately disappoint you. A disappointed hope and a disappointed person is a non-Christian who has false hope or temporary hope, but chooses to feel hope. That hope can be real or it can be false, but it will never be eternal. And what I want to tell you is that there is a better way. There is a better way. If you are a discouraged Christian and maybe you're so discouraged, you feel like maybe you should be in that bottom left quadrant, that you're discouraged to the point of despair. And and what I want to tell you is you can awaken again to the real hope and you can feel hope in the hope that God offers to you and that God will bring into the world. And if you're not a Christian, you can move from the point of despair or from disappointment to the real and sure hope that will not disappoint you. When you turn from your sin and yourself and your stuff and you turn toward Jesus Christ and you trust him in what he has done in his perfect life without sin, in his death on the cross to to bear the penalty of sin, in his burial and his resurrection, if you will turn from your sin and trust in him, God will forgive you of your sin and he will give you eternal life and you will receive a sure hope that you can then feel as hope in hope. And this leads us to a place of being delighted. A delighted hope is a Christian who has a true eternal hope and chooses to hope. A hopeful Christian with an eternal hope. Where are you on this chart? Are you discouraged as a Christian? Are you despairing, disappointed? I want to invite you to let God delight you. You know, I love the movie Shawshank Redemption. For decades, it's been my favorite movie. Now, I have to say, it's a grown-up movie, and there's some brutal stuff in there, um, and I am not recommending it for family movie night. I would not recommend it for for kids. Um, But there is a profound message in that movie. There's The story centers on this man named Andy Dufresne who's wrongly accused and convicted of a crime and is sentenced to a long time in Shawshank prison in Maine. And while he's there, he befriends a man named Red. And Red uh, is a man who knows how to get things. He's the he's a person who can get you um, gum or cigarettes or, in Andy's case, a small pickaxe for carving out stones and making little figurines and chess pieces. And that's one of Andy's hobbies. And and also, Andy asks for a large poster to put on his cell wall. At one point in the movie, Andy's put in solitary confinement as he locks himself in the PA room of the prison and plays beautiful classical music over the PA system and brings a sense of beauty into the prison that had not been there. And, And he's put in solitary confinement. And when he finally returns to the lunchroom, he gets to the table where all his friends are sitting and it's, they asked him how it was. And he said it was the easiest time he ever had. And they're, they're, they're incredulous. They're like, no way. There's no such thing as easy time in the hole as they call it. Well, he says, I had Mr. Mozart to keep me company. 
and they misunderstand and they say, oh, so they let you take that record player down there into the cell. And he says, no, I had it here and I had it here in my mind and in my heart. He talks about how music uh, brings something to life and asks if they felt that way about music. And Red, who's there, says, I used to play the harmonica, but it doesn't make much sense anymore. Not in here, not in prison. And Andy says, here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone, that there's something inside they can't get to and they can't touch. What are you talking about? Red asks. Hope, Andy says. Hope, Red answers. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. You better get used to that idea. But Andy refuses to give up hope. And, and Andy doesn't just have hope as a sentimental feeling, but there is an objective hope that Andy has that nobody else knows about. Because you see, for all those years, Andy was using that small rock-carving pickaxe to tunnel through the wall of his cell. And one night he crawled through the wall and then broke into a sewer pipe, crawled out the sewer pipe 500 yards to a river and was free. And he used a, 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 a cash reserve that he had under a new name and he used that cash reserve to escape to Mexico and to buy a hotel on the beach in Sehuantaneo, Mexico. And he tells Red... In, in a sort of uh, uh, subtle way. And he says to Red, if you ever get out of here, I want you to go to this rock wall in this field in this certain place, and there's, there's going to be a black rock there, and I want you to look under the black rock. Well, Red does get out on parole after 40 years in prison and goes and he finds that black rock, and he opens it up, and there's a tin, and inside the tin there's some cash and a note, and the note is from Andy. It says, Red, if you've come this way, I'd like you to come a little further. Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Well, I love that movie, and I've known for years that it was based on a little novella by Stephen King, who's not exactly known for happy and good stories, um, per se, but I finally read the novella, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, and and there's interesting, there's an interesting section. A lot of it's right like the movie, but there's this section there that, that isn't in the movie. And it's, it's when an inmate named Tommy, who provides information that might lead to Andy's acquittal um, and release from prison, it says, it says that Andy said that it was if Tommy had produced a key which fit a cage in the back of his mind, a cage like his own cell. Instead of holding a man, that cage held a tiger, and that tiger's name was Hope. Williams had produced a key that unlocked the cage, and the tiger was out willy-nilly to roam his brain. This is what the gospel offers to you. It's a key to unlock the tiger of hope in your mind and in your heart. A real hope worth 
hoping in, an invisible hope in our visual world. Thank you.